Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. Welcome again to another edition of Rob Observations. We are continuing to sail the comic book pop culture seas. Uh, so much is going on in 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 uh, comic books and pop culture. There's not a day that goes by that we're not reading whether or not a movie like Wonder Woman 84, the big sequel to Wonder Woman, which I, I loved the original Wonder Woman uh, movie from what was it? I think it's 2017. Um, Gal Gadot, I, I loved the the setting of World War One. I, I, I loved all of it. I think Gal is transcendent in the role. I think uh, just uh, just a, a great great effort all around. Very excited to see the sequel. Uh, bummed that there's continual talk that it's being pushed back. I would love for it to drop on HBO Max because. Uh, this last year has really, you know, focused me on my direct to consumer, uh, uh, you know, habits. And, and I like getting all these big budget, uh, you know, pop culture offerings on my, in my H key, H H K H K receivership, the, the, the 4k or whatever HD, all of it. It's cool. It looks great. I love it. I love sitting on my recliners and, and absorbing this stuff, but in, in in talking of Wonder Woman, we are talking of one of DC Comics' biggest icons, and uh, certainly, I, th I think, I mean, Wonder Woman went above and beyond. It made more than Man of Steel. It made more than Batman, Superman. It was a giant, global, huge success. So, so, um, because I, I mean, honestly, you know, movie stars, uh, movies are about movie stars, and Gal Gadot became a movie star with Wonder Woman. And so obviously we're all very excited about the sequel and where that takes the DCU and, uh, and where, it, you know, what it portends for the entire DC film universe. But the, the thing about DC comics is DC comics has uh, been on everybody's minds and on uh, it, the, the DC comics is the hot potato topic of the business and has been for all of 2020 prior to the pandemic. 2020 kicked off, I believe it was February, with the firing of their long-standing uh, publisher, uh, publisher prime, whatever we're going to call him, uh, Dan DiDio. And then that uh, started the ball rolling towards an eventual rollback, scale back, uh, then then a distribution uh, shift where they they went to they they went away from the giant distributor. Uh, that 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 has kind of been the dominant delivery source to the comic book market for for comic books, uh, whether it was from Marvel or DC. They 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 left Diamond. Long story short, uh, things continue to uh, shift and change and alter. And and honestly, uh, especially last week, there was three to four news stories about DC every day. And uh, this topic is is too big for me to handle myself, and uh, you know the, the the thing is that uh, we're really we're talking about something very modern and something very uh, but but something very much in the now today on on, on today's episode of of Rob observations. I, I think I'm going to call it the DC dilemma. And joining me for the DC dilemma is everybody's favorite America's retailer, uh, America's con thrower. Mr. Jimmy J, I have a mansion and a yacht. What is up, Jimmy? How are you doing? 
I neither have a mansion nor a yacht, but I'm stoked to be with you uh, for this episode. So, I mean, and, and there is a lot of stuff going on, and I uh, can't wait to, to jump into it with you. Well, Jimmy, so, so you um, you have so, – so, again, so people understand Jimmy and I have known each other more than 20 years, twenty almost 25 years, and I have really learned so much about retail from Jimmy and his business – and uh, I've, I've always, I mean, if, if anything, if the, the best relationship, the, the best way I could describe the relationship, I mean, the relationship is, is it's a friendship. It's multi-layered on, on, on all sorts of, Jimmy's a family friend, but when it comes to business, Jimmy is kind of, he's, he's a little bit of my bookie. I go to him to see how the business is running. What, what are the odds? Um, he's always very frank and very candid. And frankly, he's going to be less frank and candid uh, with you all, but as much as you can, because that kind of stuff, we, we can't go uh, and, and be completely, you know, uh, you know, a hundred percent forthright with what we talk about. It would get us both in trouble, but in the broad strokes, Jimmy and I talk comics all the time. When we talk publishers, we talk titles, we talk creators. It's so much fun. I, I, it's, it's a thrill of every week when I get to talk comics with Jimmy, Jimmy has a retail uh, outlet that he routinely, uh, moves comics at. I've, I've watched since the pandemic, I've seen comics sell better than they did pre pandemic. I've seen people argue about comics that they want to buy from Jimmy. I've seen people come in, uh, short of breath, trying to buy comics from Jimmy that they couldn't get anywhere else. So Jimmy, you, sell a lot of DC comics, a lot of DC comics that, that you know, and, and the thing you said to me recently that really resonates is, and like any good retailer, you want everything to sell. Everything that you buy, you put out in the hopes that you'll sell it because that's why you bought it because you're a retailer. So what is the, the, the state of DC comics right now on in the Jimmy J store? It's, it's, it's tough. It's definitely a challenge. But that's because it's like they have some ultra DC is putting out um, an ultra hot Batman run right now. And that is with um, with James Tinian and Jorge Jimenez. And they have really, you know, they've taken Batman's always a bestseller. So it's like, no, duh. I think my mom could be writing uh, and drawing Batman and it would still be, you know, it would still be on a lot of people's pull lists. But it might not be it might not be Mama's number one, so to speak. But uh, but actually, James Tinney and his current run for the last year has really uh, put that in the into that Mama's number one style of, of conversation. And sales have been um, have picked up even on the title. And again, how do you go from from being a top seller to even a better top seller? Is he's crammed it with a ton of first appearances and a lot of excitement. It's a, the book is really well done, really well executed. So it's like you have that on one side, and then you have the rest of the DC line is definitely hurting. And I think it's not, you know, creatively, you know, you can make arguments for or against a lot of different books, but more than that, it's that distribution war has has definitely. Um, given a negative blow to this company and um and what i'm talking about is is uh in that intro you mentioned that dc comics moved away from uh from diamond comics that's the number one distributor to the direct market for all the specialty stores out there so 
it became just more hurdles to get your weekly DC books. And it's not impossible, not at all, but it's just more hurdles, uh, a different set of, it's like they threw out the playbook and they're making up rules as they as they go along. So I think there's a lot of retailers uh, across the country, whether it's your favorite brick and mortar store or or whoever that are, are de have definitely been struggling with this process. And that is, I think that's hurt the sales of and the sell through on on the DC line in general. So while you have some great best selling titles and best selling runs that fans are clamoring for. A lot of other books are even getting that much pushed further back um, and, you know, further back, not just because they don't have Batman in them. So, I mean, there's there's other market uh, elements happening that um, that is definitely hampering the sales of those titles. So I want to circle back to the performance of the comics that are going on. Well, the, the, the books that are working for DC, I kind of want to end with that because I see a lot of good going on with, with a, like you said, we've talked. I think the Batman books are in the best shape they've been in in a decade. But the, um, the, the Batman family, you said it. You took my line, and it's not my line. It's everybody's line about your mom and your grandma being able to do Batman books um, that, that would be successful. And, and, and that is because of the absolute like like batman uh, batman's the number one selling family in comics and has been for at least 15 years but here's what here's what's going on with dc a lot of uncertainty um as as as, as a lot of people whether you're aware or not at&t the giant you know phone company communications company tech company uh all of those things bought uh Warner Brothers, uh, and and that and that that deal went through about a year ago. But prior to that, it was parked for a while with the Department of Justice because of the monopoly and all that. You know th those measures that they have to you know investigate, and it gets a little political. But they came out on the other side of it, and AT and T emerged as the new owner of Warner Brothers Television, movies, and obviously that involves you know everything from Looney Tunes. To DC Comics, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Justice League. So, but I'm going to tell you, for, for you and I have done this dance for, you know, like I said, 15 years. And, and the thing, I'm going to tell you what's going on. Uh, we, to understand what's going on right now, I got to go back and I got to start at where I believe things got tricky for DC Comics. And it's, and it's a, and we're going to, we're going to draw a very straight line through everything that went, has, has gone on. And it really starts well, it starts back with, I mentioned on this podcast in an episode uh, that I was discussing about Paul Levitz, who was the former publisher head honcho of DC Comics, that in the 90s at San Diego Comic-Con, because I had talked to Paul briefly about a Supreme uh, Superman Youngblood crossover, and he was for it. He was not standing in the way. It was up to me to formulate the story and the and the and the, and the, uh, the framework of, of what a Superman Youngblood uh, team up would look like, but in getting in having these discussions, uh, Paul Levitz told me that he never wants to be the number one company. DC's the best number two company that there ever was because being number one is fraught with problems. 
Because once you're number one and you stop being number one, you have to tell your bosses why you're not number one and start charting all sorts of courses and paths, how to get back there. But if you're just consistently number two, you're the very best number two and everybody appreciates that you always get close, but you're not quite, you know, the number one. And I, I, I think, you know, depending on when I grew up, there was the, the Pepsi challenge and Pepsi had positioned itself to be more uh, successful than Coke, even though I believe Coke was more successful. But it got into people's minds that there was a war between these two. And it really didn't matter who was number one, unless you were on the board of those two companies. But, um, you know, the whole time I'm like, well, I like Mountain Dew. So I don't, I don't care about Coke or Pepsi. And, and if Pepsi makes Mountain Dew, I was too young to understand that. I just knew that I didn't like any of those brown sodas. I liked my green soda that my uncle said, looks like you're drinking a glass of piss. So that was always fun. But but for, for, for DC Comics, for so long, Paul Levitz truly stuck to his guns. And he, run, he ran the best number two scenario possible. Now, Jimmy, you, do you understand what he's saying when he says that? I want to run the best number two and who the hell needs number one? You, you get that, right? Absolutely, because then it, it, it takes the it takes the competition out of it. It's like if you know your place, you know your market share, you can do the best within within that box. It's not like that you're trying to to move the lines or, or anything like that. It's it's perform the best within your box, stay in your lane, and um, you know. And, and I'm sure the corporate structure was was very much, you know. I mean that that's how his market was. So well, and, and I'm I'm, I'm going to draw the comparison. I'm going to do it right now. DC Comics is the Clippers, okay? And uh and 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 um the 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 previous owner of the Clippers was Donald Sterling. Did I get that name right? Is that right? Yes. Okay, so yes. Donald Sterling ran the Clippers for years and you know, brought them to Los Angeles and I remember so again in the image years there was a lot of I, the, the books were doing well. My, 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 my young blood alone was bringing me a million dollars a month. So like the reason I say that was I'm 24, 25. And so I was getting a box at the pond of Anaheim, which is now called the Honda. I don't know what, I don't know who's co-opted it now, but it went, it, it, it was the home of the mighty ducks. But when they gave me the tour of the place, selling me my big giant luxury box, which I engaged in for three years. And there's a reason I'm telling you this, and it's not because I had money. I just want you to know that the, the particulars of how I found myself at this place. I mean, when I, they, they hadn't finished the pond yet, but they were showing me, I mean, it was still girders and, and steel and the, the, the floor wasn't done and the seats weren't finished, but they had preliminary boxes they could walk you through. And I went through and, and, and the, the, Hockey wasn't enough for me to buy in, Jimmy, not at the price they were asking. But they said, we're talking to the Clippers. The Clippers are coming. And of course, being the NBA honk that I was, I'm like, oh my gosh, the Clippers are coming to Orange County. The Clippers are going to be in my backyard, 10 minutes from my house, two minutes from Extreme Studios, which is on literally the other side of the freeway where the pond was being erected. And they were going to have all these other concerts and all this other stuff. Well, the, the ducks happened. And, and, and all the killer concerts came. But at the last minute, Donald Sterling decided not to move to Orange County. He wanted to stay close and draft off 
the Lakers. And when I mean draft, I mean like, you know, when Tom Cruise, you know, gives Nicole Kidman the uh, the, the 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 lesson about drafting behind the pace car in Days of Thunder. And you wait to the last minute and then you shoot off that draft. And and I believe he was he was using like Hot Wheel cars on her thigh. It was Days of Thunder, great movie, Top Gun with cars. Okay, anyway, drafting off the Lakers. He was trying to draft off their steam, their juice, their their fumes. So then the Staples Center is getting built. And you and I, being SoCal relatives, remember what a big deal it was that the Lakers were moving out of the Great Western Forum. I had seen so many games in the Forum. And now, you know, on the news, they had Shaq and the hard hat. And, and, and he's walking around Staples in the same way I'm describing. I was walking around the pond. He's walking around when it's still girders and steel and the seats aren't done and the floors aren't done. But then the Clippers came in and signed that they would be the other tenant. And I think guys like you and I are like, man, the B team is going to get to share the, the same roof with the A team, right? I mean, that's kind of how it felt. Oh, it's, and, it's like the junior varsity is playing yeah. on the same, same floor as the varsity, and, just not and, on the same days. And at the same time, the news media, and I think a lot, lots of people in the sports world thought the better move was for Sterling to take the Clippers to Orange County, where I guarantee you they would have sold out every game, especially for the first initial years, and they would have created their own, uh, their own community, their own, you know, branding, but they stayed with um, the Lakers for the better part of 20 years. I mean, they're still both playing at, they're still both playing at Staples. So the Clippers have been the secondary tenant guys like you and I, especially this last year when the Clippers fans all get mouthy and they start, you know, saying how they're going to win the championship. (laughs) Sorry, I can't even finish this. How they're going to win the championship and they're going to take over the town. And we point to the, the banners, right? We as Laker fans, okay? Okay, but I'll even take it one step further. The Clipper fans get so angry that they want because Taylor Swift has a banner in Staples Center, yet they do not. So they always want that Taylor Swift banner taken down during their home home days. So, so Paul Levitz was the Donald Sterling without all the creepy stuff that took Donald Sterling down. Just the he was he was a stingy businessman that wanted to stick close to the pace car, but never try and pass it. Okay. That's my take. That is my take. Chris Paul to the Clippers was an accident brought about by Mark Cuban being angry that he was going to, after the the lockout, the NBA lockout, that Chris Paul immediately overnight was going to go to the Lakers and only make them more powerful. And then the Cleveland uh, uh, owner complained. And so then they rerouted Paul to the Clippers, which then, you know, they, they had some luck drafting over the years. I mean, this becomes more and more like DC Comics the more I talk about it. Um, with Blake Griffin. And they paired them together. And they contended. Okay? And they got a big coach. You know, I mean, my kids don't even remember that Doc... Because I said that Doc, Doc Rivers may be drafted this year. And they're like, you don't draft coaches. I go, they got him. They got him in a trade. I mean, you don't trade coaches. I'm like, the Clippers got him in a trade. You can trade assets, and a coach is your asset. So so you and I both know that the Clippers, they got close to in the Donald Sterling years knocking on the door, right? And while Kobe broke down and his ankle snapped and everything else gave way and Achilles 
Um, the Clippers had a good run, but couldn't get to the final, the Western Conference front. Like, I, I don't think they ever got out of the second round. Is that right? Anyway. So yeah, what I, know. I, mean, just, I mean, and I mean, it just seemed like in this, it seems very much, I mean, again, talking about Lakers Clippers seems very much like the, like the, um, you know, like Marvel DC for that matter, because it's like, even the years where, where the Lakers weren't a very good team, quite frankly, they were still the talk of, they were still the talk of the town. They were still the number one team in the city. And I do think in, in it's funky because I think the, the direct market certainly works that way with, with, uh, you know, that, you know, they don't necessarily let DC comics become number one. And you know, there's a lot of fanboys. There's a lot of fanboys out there in that direct market, you know, that are owning those direct market stores. No, I mean, look again, I'm just trying to, to, uh, in, in my mind, the real, uh, where this happens in the real world is with the Lakers and the Clippers, the Clippers become a co-tenant of staples and even as we're saying with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and uh, um, come on, what'd they call that when they were together? It wasn't like, like, like it was the Legion of Boom. Seattle had their thing and they called it Dunk. Was it a, uh, what they call them? Oh, Dunk oh, City. Was it Dunk City? No, it was something like that though. But, but e even Lobs. Lob City, um, Lob City? They, they, whatever the Clippers came up with, it just, even in the winning years with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, and the, the the SoCal sports media would tell you that they weren't outselling or outpacing the Lakers. So that's the framework. Paul Levitz was Donald Sterling. Stay close, but don't try to overtake. Be happy with, with what you get, that you're in the nice building alongside the number one. It seems like you kind of both, you know, you belong, you're upper echelon, you get the sweet, you know, uh, staples, amenities. It, that's what was happening for so long. Enter Dan DiDio. Dan DiDio gets his version of absolute power. And, and, and when he does that, okay, he decides and he sells his bosses on it's time that we go number one. It's time that we go for number one. And this starts 2010, 20, yeah, 2010. This is where this gets started. Now, um, it would be like the next year where the announcement came and all the different trades and in the LA Times that the power structure at DC had been reformatted. And we're going to get to that in a minute where, you know, Jeff Johns got some title and he was kind of an important guy, but we didn't understand exactly how. And Dio was now not just publisher, he was co-publisher with Jim Lee, who as a result of renegotiating his contract and wanting to be seen as having more power, got the higher-ups to wedge him into the co-publisher status alongside Dan. During this time, this entire idea to take over the number one slot is initiated. This is where everything that has gone wrong in the last 10 years, this is where it all happens. This is the source of it. Because Paul Levitz was right. Once you're number one and you slide, especially after you've sold your bosses, that you have the winning formula, that you've got the lineup, that you've got the right allotment of pitchers and catchers, offense, defense, you've got you, you you've drafted the right quarterback. Okay. All of those analogies are coming together as as Didio believes he is going to make a run. 
Now, I was asked to go out to lunch with Jeff Johns, who I had um, a, a nice, uh, you know, professional relationship. We hadn't done any work together. He asked me to come to, to Burbank. We went out to El Torito. Uh, when I went to uh, out to lunch with Didio, he, he, he took me to the steakhouse, to Morton's. When it was Jeff Johns, he took me to El Torito. The, 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 this is a funny um, just realization I'm having. But so, so this is um, Johns has done Blackest Night. It, it's the giant uh, culmination of his entire Green Lantern run, which we all agree was brilliant. From beginning to end, he nailed it. Green Lantern made Green Lantern an A-lister, which he hadn't been in maybe 20 years or maybe ever. And uh, and you and I used to talk about that and how, how that entire crossover was a big deal. But then he had done uh, Brightest Day was the anthology book that was coming out. And they had brought Hawk and Dove back. And he asked me if I wanted to come do a, do, do a Hawk and Dove book with him. And it would spin out of Brightest Day. He was kind of formulating this. At the same time, they had hired my old editor-in-chief, Bob Harris, at Marvel. to They had upgraded him because he had been lingering at, at DC in the collections division. He was putting together all the trades, hardcovers. That's where he was very happy and very content. But then they tapped him. And when I say they, I think Jim had a lot to do with it because Jim had a great relationship with Bob, just like I did. And Bob has great commercial instincts. Elevate him to editor-in-chief. And, and they started formulating this plan to be the number one comic company. They have the assets. They just need the talent. And they need to make the moves. And, 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 and I was told by Johns, like, we can get started on this pretty quick. I'm gonna, you should talk to Bob Harris. I talked to Bob Harris. And then it became, Rob, we're changing some stuff. Changing some, some stuff in how we're doing things. And, and uh, let me get back to you. We definitely want to do Hawk and Dove. We want you to revisit it. I had a fondness for Hawk and Dove. It made my career. Female Dove, Dawn Granger, was a big deal. It, 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 she has outlasted the original Dove in terms of relevance and, and being in, in, in publication. And so I was eager to revisit it. And, uh, but I was told, you know, wait, we'll get back to you. And it was in the late spring that I was told that it would be part of this new initiative And you and every retailer and every fan, um, came to know this as the new 52, right. And was, and, and, and that was a pretty bold initiative for those who may have not been around almost 10 years ago. Uh, the new 52 was a relaunching of 52 comics from, uh, from DC that would all launch at number one and kind of reset the DC universe. And, uh, they were going to launch in the fall of 2011. Is that correct, Jimmy? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it, it all had a September launch. Um, and the DC, I mean, they talk about selling it to the retailers they went on the road. They did. They did. Um, you know, retailer. Um, you know, luncheons and road shows. They did the road shows. And they did the slide shows, and they literally would take you slide by slide with every fifty-two one, fifty-two of these books, and they would read you what it was about and where they were going with the storyline. I mean, this went on like for hours, and I mean, they would. I mean, talk about a dog and pony show. I mean, you know, then they would bring Jim out, you know, in the middle of it. And then they would bring Jeff Johns out in the in the middle of it. And, you know, there was photo ops. And I mean, it was a it was a big deal. I mean, I know the L.A. one was on the Warner Brothers lot. 
So again, you have this motley crew of, of direct market retailers all shuffling in into the theater room on the Warner Brothers lot, you know, with the water tower and so forth, and um, taking up this nice theater space. And I mean, you know, you could see, you know, like, again, everybody looking on, on the lot, like, who are, you know, you know, what's this raggedy field trip going on? And, um, but I mean, they really did, you know, they, they broke out the pom-poms and really, you know, and really cheered it up. And um, it, it worked, it worked. I mean, when the, when the books launched, uh, that DC 52 was, was smoking hot. I don't think fans were ready for it. And there was definitely a curiosity factor that it's like every week I need to get all the number ones and I need to be in the, on the ground floor. And there really was a curiosity factor that drove that first year of the DC 52. So, so was, was September 2011, was that a five week month or, you know, I don't, I don't recall if that was a four week month or a five week month, but I do remember that justice league shipped the last week in August. And that, and that was kind of the, that was the precursor to the DC 52. So that was the first book out and I was on, and I was on a family vacation during that week. So, uh, so my brother standalone for that Justice League launched it all by itself. Correct. So, so they had the week all to themselves, and then the following week, I mean, it was you know jam packed with, with you know roughly 10, 10 to twelve titles. So I remember right, and 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 look, Hawk and Dove was not a uh, in the top tier; it was in the bottom tier, uh, in terms of of sales. It wasn't the lowest of the low, but it was like the top of the bottom you know, however you separate the 52 and thirds or quarters. And I was just fortunate that we were out the very first week and I didn't understand the importance uh, of, of like that we were in a game of survivor um, or, or, or like a big brother death match until that first week. And I was just, I was fortunate that Hawk and Dove got caught up in the, the fever to, to, to collect them all. Because there was definitely, like you're saying, that first month, the collect them all. And so I remember, you know, being notified we were going back to press. We were getting one of the all red cover reprints, which it seemed like they all got. I mean, because the fever was high. The fever was definitely high for this stuff. And that um, we can go back and, 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 and cherry pick and we will eventually. I'm already getting the idea that this may be a double um, that, that, that we may have to do. Uh, a, a, a part two of this because because uh, we're we're getting all the the details out there, but there's you know to get the true squeeze all the true juice and fun out of this, we're gonna have to maybe devote more time uh, than this episode allows to, to to dissecting all this. But but that September things were on fire and DC had absolutely taken over Marvel in terms of heat, and it turned out all important market share. And I was in New York City for the New York City Comic Con uh, when the announcement came that DC was number one. DC had their their, their party at the show. Did, did I take you to that? Yes, yes, I did. I, I, did. Okay. I got a sideways look because I was a non I was a non creator, and, <laughs> and I you were my guest. You, I yeah, wasn't and, a partner. Everybody's so there. Everybody's there. Everybody's there. I mean, literally, all of the creators are there. As we were walking in, I was saying, um, uh, 
I was saying hello to Brian Azzarello. I mean, and, and inside was, you know, it's just everybody. Everybody was there. And Didio got up on the bar and grabbed the flute of champagne and toasted everybody that DC was number one. And uh, I remember thinking, this is interesting. This is funny. You know, it was a very nice DC throws great parties. And it was a great after show, you know, uh, uh, party for the talent. And, and, uh, and so, so the, the, you know, every, everybody was talking about the books. Everyone was talking about the buzz and there was definitely a buzz. It was the most buzz that in my professional career, DC has ever, uh, had on a wide scale. This was bigger than just a dark night breaking out or a watchman breaking out as, as evergreen and acclaimed as those were, this was a line wide, you know, just, just so much heat. I, I actually remember I was drawing Hawk and Dove four in the hotel room. Uh, I, I specifically remember the pages I was doing that weekend because it was very important that everybody stay on time and everybody make their deadlines. And Dio had rallied everybody, and you could feel an excitement. And retailers like yourself sold a lot of books, make no doubt. And uh, it just seemed like, especially at that party, it seemed like everybody was definitely like, "We're all in this together." I mean, there was definitely a lot of company unity. There was, it was, you know, there was there was a lot of Kool Aid drinking at at that event. Yes. And, 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 but genuine celebration, the twinkle in Dio's eye, he was a competitive guy. Uh, you know, Dan had come up, uh, both Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmiotti, including Dan Dio, have all told me how they came up together, comic fans in, in Brooklyn or the Bronx or whatever borough of New York, they all came up together. They all went their separate ways. Dan went into TV animation uh, and then cycled back to comic books where he then is the equivalent to what Casada is roughly the same period. They're both publishers. So it must've been interesting for them as boyhood, I'm going to say chums, because that makes me sound like I'm from the fifties, boyhood chums to, to then be looking across each other as publisher, publisher. And Dan was very competitive. He had sold Warner brothers on this idea. It was working for him. But as you and I both know, by November, it was over. Um, they, 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 they tapered off DC, the DC 52 glow was gone. And look, man, we can analyze so much of why. And I remember so much of the websites pitting the books against each other, pitting the creators, who's doing what, who's accomplishing what, obviously it was just like manna from heaven, the bread that the, that the Israelites would have to cur- you know, collect every morning in, in the Bible when, when they were during their Exodus, which takes up four books of the Bible. That's a lot of manna. It was manna from heaven for Didio and DC Comics, but it was over. And when it was over, Marvel regained, the world reset, and DC Comics was back to being number two. And I am telling you that this is what causes all of the crazy that we're in now, because what happened is it became a shell game. We need to wipe out titles that aren't working. Thank God I was offered to turn the sales around on Deathstroke and Hawkman and Grifter. I was offered all three books at the same time on the same phone call with Dan DiDio and Bob Harris. I took it because I could already tell Hawk and Dove had been overshadowed. It really didn't matter what we were doing. 
it was going to be part of the second culling. They, I think OMAC and some of these earlier books were part of the first wave of cancellations. But what, they're, what they started to do is they started to replace everything with something Batman interconnected. Now, to our listeners, what counts as a Batman title is, is something that has a tether to Batman. Robin is a Batman title for all the obvious reasons. Nightwing is a Batman title for the same reasons. Batwoman, Batgirl, um, you got you got you got Detective, you got Dark Knight, you got Batman, and um what, you had Batwing, which was Batwing, which was the which was you know Batman from Africa. In Africa. Batman in Africa. Okay. You had Batman and the Outsiders. Um you you uh uh what what am I what am I missing? There's another Batman book. There was four core Batman, Detective Dark Knight and Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin. That's it. That was a great book too. That was a really good book. Um, but but again, we, and then and then Batman being front and center in the Justice League. That's a Batman book. That's a Batman associated title. Um, it's at one point, it got to be that that twenty of the fifty two books were Batman comic books, and that which is why, honestly, I swear to you, Jimmy. Part of this is that they should be called, uh, that, that, that they should be called Batman Comics because, um, you mean, you mean the company should DC Comics should be called? Well, honestly, if you were to call them Batman Comics, it would be, I mean, it's it's no different than the, the DC Comics is derived from Detective Comics, which is derived from Batman, so. The, the the thing about what happened in the last 10 years is the hyper-focusing on Batman. Why did that happen? And if you are listening and you go, what is the point? The point is that DiDio needed to now satiate his masters who he had told, if you give us these budgets. Now, if you're if you're if you're asking me about my opinion on this, it's not an opinion, this is fact. I sat at these meetings when I um from Hawk and Dove to Deathstroke to Grifter to uh to hawkman budgets print runs sales were based on the entire um sales that that the higher ups the the, the bosses of dan didio were sold on to release the 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 funds and 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 the broad scope of what this giant reboot would be and the fact that it was already on shaky ground after three months did not bode well. So then what you, what they started to do was just stack it with what was working over program. We've seen it. You guys at the beginning of this millennium of, of there was who wants to be a millionaire Regis Feldman host who wants to be a millionaire. It, it takes America by storm. People are, they want to watch everyday people answer those questions, win a million dollars. It started out maybe three nights, then it got to five nights, and, and then it was never ending. And then the sales, the, 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 the ratings plateaued, leveled off, and, and, and they scaled it back because the appetite wasn't there for that much who wants to be a millionaire. And of course they eventually stripped it to a syndicated show and it went, it went in that direction, but we've all been part of and, and, and seen the overdoing of something that when 
you know, and especially in these big mega corps, you know, that when they see something working, they, they turn it up and they want to just give you more of that because they're profit based. And the Batman line was everything to them. And so, so, so everything became a Batman book. Now, I, yeah. and I think it's it's interesting at this time. I mean, it seemed like that they were very in in invested in the families. So it's like more Batman books meant higher sales, you know, across the board. You know, I mean, even on the second, third, and fourth tier Batman books. But it's like the same wasn't true on something like Green Lantern. On Green Lantern, which was flaming hot with uh, Jeff Johns, you know, on a several year run, is that then they did you know, Green Lantern, and then they spun it off and did Green Lantern core, and then Green Lantern, uh, you know, Red Lanterns. And, you know, so they kept on trying these other families, but they didn't have that same success for the second tier and the third tier and the fourth spinoff and the fifth spinoff, where Batman and the Batman family was certainly able to uh, to outsell based on, on that bat, was able to outsell any of those other families. So just like as you keep on whittling away from all these other family of books, it, it I mean it became it became obvious that uh, you know Batman was always the safest call. And and again they started stacking it and stacking it and stacking it and uh, and 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 so now here's where I got to take you back and I got to take you back to my childhood and my fondness for for DC comics and and this is going to point out the contrast between DC and and what happened with Marvel and what eventually happened with Marvel, but the DC comics of my youth that um, turned me on and, 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 and made me an avid fan was not Batman. And I also grew up in a period that happened to be more Superman centric. And uh, there is a a Twitter handle called the spinner rack that if, if you go and you follow that, it shows you what's selling in like the bronze era. Sometimes they go modern, but, and in that you will revisit periods. Like they'll show you what was selling this day in 78 or this day in 1982. And it really takes you back and you see what was coming out from each publisher on whatever given day. And there are, there's a period from the mid seventies to the mid eighties where DC is very Superman focused. There is Superman. There is Action Comics. There is DC Comics Presents, which was a Superman team-up vehicle. Superman and Captain Marvel. Superman and the Legion of Superheroes. Superman and the Titans. Superman and Aquaman. Okay, Batman had his old his own vehicle like that as well, but Superman's was called DC Comics Presents, and it was some of the best Superman stories you were going to get. But you had Action Comics Monthly, Superman Comics. You had DC Comics Presents. You had Superman Family. You had Supergirl. Superboy had his own title. Six, six Superman related titles. Plus, Superman was a featured member in the Justice League. It was, oh, and, then, it, and I'm sorry, did you mention also World's Finest? World's Finest, Superman and Batman. So there's eight Superman centric titles. Now, now you could say, well, Rob, um, he was the better known at the time. He was. He had the cartoons. He had the George Reeves show that was even being syndicated when I was a kid, the black and white Superman show, which I watched because it's a show about Superman. And it was half hour. I I, I could get into it. It was fun. Um, Superman was was the, you know, featured superhero, always seen as the leader, the most important in the Super Friends cartoon. But then you had the Christopher Reeves 1978 movie that was 
a mega blockbuster hit, which was followed in 80, 80, 81 by, you know, Superman 2, which people liked even more because it had more super villains and more action. So they definitely were a Superman centric company rather than a Batman centric company. And we've, we've discussed at length, you and I on podcast, you should go grab them about Dark Knight, um, about how Batman had been waning in popularity and they were canceling Batman books and whittling his titles back until Frank Miller breaks the chains, gives you Dark Knight, you know, and, and, and just recast Batman in a whole new light. But in that in-between time, what drove DC Comics uh, was the Legion of Superheroes, which is a 30th century futuristic, long-standing DC Comics super team, which has like a cast of 20 different characters. It wasn't hard to follow. It was my favorite DC Comics book. It was so popular. It got two monthly titles in the 80s. If you got two mo- if you got a spinoff and you had two monthly titles, so there was two of your comic every month by top flight creative teams. And that's what the Legion was all about. Also the Teen Titans, what, what Marv Wolfman and George Perez started spun off into two monthly blockbuster titles. And um, you had all sorts of new heroes being created from Firestorm, which is a product of 1977. Um, Firestorm, completely connected and took off and people dug it. And there was a lot of new stuff, a lot of experimentation. There is an epic, amazing 12 issue maxi series called Camelot 3000, which was a great seller. It was adored. It is about the Knights of the realm being resurrected uh, in the midst of an alien invasion so that Excalibur and the Knights must must rise again and, and, and now save earth, not just England from an alien invasion. I'm just scratching the surface. They brought back the Charlton characters. Blue Beetle got his own um, comic, which was a hit. The Question got a longstanding comic. Uh, Blackhawks, they brought they brought Blackhawks back. Howard Shaken, no less, is doing an extended uh, kind of a, uh, a adult version. DC's, uh, you and I have talked about this, their prestige format comics, whether it was Green Arrow, which was kind of, Dark knighted up to be mature with the longbow hunters. Um, all of this stuff. DC was very exciting. A ton of different ideas. And some of the best stuff they had, they hadn't even really activated. All that great Kirby stuff, the fourth world stuff. You know, I do a lot of social media deep dives. I'm part of a lot of groups, as are you. And there's a guy the other day that says, I don't understand um, how people don't embrace new gods more. The guy goes, I loved it. When it came out, it was my favorite of all the Kirby books. And when I revisit it, it gets better and better and better. And currently, we are in like every seven years, DC is reissuing the Kirby catalog of all his work in new omnibuses. Or now um, what's coming out are the absolute, the supersize editions, supersize hardcovers and slipcases, really handsome slipcases. They're re, re uh, putting them out in trade paperback. What I'm getting at is from Commandy to the Demon to Blue Devil to Firestorm to Titans to Legion. There was a ton of variety, a ton of variety to the DC lineup. The same kind of variety that Marvel had that would give you characters like the Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. Uh, Like Deadpool. Okay. Uh, Stuff that wasn't 
um, always their front and center, you know, lineup. It, everything wasn't Spider-Man because Spider-Man can't sustain. I don't know that Spider-Man ever had eight titles like Superman did or, or, or six like Batman did. I think Spider-Man maxed in the 90s at four titles. Web of Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, Adjectiveless Spider-Man, and The Amazing Spider-Man. Because they had they had discontinued Marvel Team Up and made Web of Spider-Man instead. So um, am I missing one? That, 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 that's about as maxed as Spider-Man got, right? Yeah, absolutely. So so so, so DC was had a lot of variety. Had had a swamp thing was a monster hit from them from Alan Moore, which we've also discussed. I mean, something like Watchmen, crazy, an original uh, take, uh, which was supposed to be a reboot of the Charlton characters, which instead became Watchmen because they decided we want to do the Charlton characters. DC was was doing great and 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 grabbing a giant share of the market, staying close to Marvel with, with a wide variety of options um, and, and diverse titles, okay? That all goes out the door in the pursuit to stay close to Marvel. My good buddy Jeff Loeb would always remind me that Marvel's going to beat you, Rob, and not, not me. He wasn't speaking to me uh, as a competitor. He's saying anybody who dares because they just have more families. They have the Spider-Man family. They have the Avengers family. They have the X-Men family. Then within that, you know, you've got your horror family of books. You've got your cosmic line of books, which 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 will give you Guardians and Silver Surfer and Nova, right? I mean, way more families. It, 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 and, I, and I feel like, you know, in this time where DC turned into the most Batman-centric company ever, Marvel goes, ah, we'll, we'll buy, we'll, we'll bring back Star Wars and make that another line. And we'll bring back Conan and we'll make that another family. And and Marvel literally has like six to seven families competing at any given time. It, it, is that not kind of, is it? Oh, that's, that's definitely par for the course. I mean, like, to, I mean, to give you an example right now with, with Marvel, it seems like, like, okay, great. We have our amazing Spider-Man, but Venom gets its own, Venom gets its own family. So I yes. mean, like, even, even the spinoffs, have their own family that have their own following that doesn't necessarily tie back to the original, you know, the original, you know, the original roots. It's not like people, I mean, there are people out there that are buying Venom, but are not buying Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of people. There's a lot of people out there that are buying, you know, that are buying, um, you know, something like Thor, but are not even touching the Avengers. So, I mean, that is going on right now, even at, at Marvel. I mean, where they're building out all of those, you know, all those families, it seems like they are are built out, you know, with, you know, just on their second tier and their third tier and their fourth tier, so much stronger than, again, just Batman. So, so to further kind of underscore. Oh, and, then, and then also, Rob, I mean, and also we have not. We neglected to say with with the Batman families at DC, you also have things like you know Nightwing, which is like you know of course that's a Batman family book, and you also have things like you also have things like even like like uh, you know Teen Titans at with Red Robin being front and center. Oh, and Red Hood. They they had a Red Hood. The Red Hood, yes, Red Hood and the Outlaws. Mm -hmm. I mean, so it's like again, you are getting so many. All right, of so so I, I'm going to try and put all this together. 
to further uh, the, 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 the point of, okay, so yeah, you're, you're listening going, so what life? they put together a lot of Batman books. No, that's not the point. That's just part of, that's a symptom of the greater problem. And let me get to the greater problem because when Marvel buys, when, when Disney buys Marvel in the summer of 2010 and that news goes public, you now have Disney versus Warner brothers. It's not DC Marvel anymore. They have giant corporate parents, Warner's and Disney, the two biggest movie studios, the two biggest entertainment companies. You know, Disney had Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. Warner's has Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny. And now it's Superman and Batman versus Spider-Man and Captain America and, and, and everybody else. You have two giant superhero universes. But Marvel is going to take a roll of the dice with Iron Man which the Wall Street Journal, when it was announced, said sell the Marvel stock. All they have left is the C and D list characters. And it listed Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America. And they said the A-listers, Spider-Man and Avengers, Spider-Man and X-Men are owned by other studios, Sony and Fox, respectively. And then there are other blockbuster titles, Fantastic Four, Daredevil, Silver Surfer. They're all... With Fox or someone else. The C and D list, they named Iron Man, Cap, and Thor. Again, this is a sell-off article. Like why Marvel Comics stock is going to go cold. They obviously buck all the odds. They they get together. They, they, they cast a very, I mean, take a huge risk on Downey Jr. Who people forget in 2007, 2006, when it was determined he would be Iron Man. The guy's career was in crisis. Part of his resurgence is Iron Man. But so Marvel is starting to, you know, and, and obviously they haven't been bought by Disney then, but this is all part of the integration. So why Disney wants them and looks to exploit them further. But with, with the Batman centric family of titles. So we've, we, so, so Jim Lee and Jeff Loeb do hush in 2003, 2002 or 2003, one of those. And we are no closer to seeing Hush on the big screen than we were back then. The filmmakers who take over Batman mostly like to tell their own stories. Christopher Nolan had his own unique vision for Batman. It started with Ra's al's Ghoul, with making him his mentor, the Ducard, you know, switcheroo and Batman Begins, which is my personal favorite of the whole bunch of Batman movies. He then tells his own version of, of Batman and Joker with a unique take on the Joker. Heath Ledger's Joker. I had never experienced that in comics or cartoons. He was skeezier, slimier, crazier, more vicious. The minute he pokes that guy's eye with that pencil on that table, I mean, all bets are off, right, Jimmy? I mean, the craziest Joker I'd ever seen. And, and then, I mean, it was, a, it was in a completely different mold, and he made him as as a gangster, not just like, "Hey, here's my 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 group of clowns," you know, you know, I, you know, breaking out of the asylum. I mean, it was, it, it's like he was a seedy underworld figure. And then, and then last year, so so uh, you know, what what is Dark Knight is uh, Dark Knight is two thousand eight. So uh, I guess eleven years later, you know. Uh, Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix bring you their version of Joker, which is a take on, 
you know, Travis Bickle, taxi driver, told through a Batman-centric lens, and they give you a very decidedly never seen before, never, again, my kids, my both my boys, my my they were 18 and 20, saw Joker, and like, Dad, is, there, is this Joker in the comics? No, it is not. It is unique to this vision, this vision alone, um, which I love the Joker. I went and saw it multiple times. I thought it was extremely well done. I enjoyed it. Um, uh, both, both, both the, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker and the Heath Ledger Joker are two Jokers, not of the comics. And some exciting stuff has, ha- has happened with the Joker in the comics that electrified the comic book audience. The, the carving off of the face and wearing it as a mask was very creepy. It was uh, kind of the centerpiece of the Scott Snyder run that, that generated all that juice. I believe it first was seen hanging on the wall in a Tony Daniel comic. Actually, it happened in the first Tony Daniel comic. Okay, is that detective? In detective? detective? Okay. Yeah, in that detective number one on that DC 52. And on that DC 52, I mean, it felt like anything could happen because it opened with the uh, with that face getting cut off. So, so in the time that the DC 52 has kicked off and Batman comics became a rage and became a priority, we have had Christian Bale, Ben Affleck, and now... Robert Pattinson is filming the Batman with Reeves, Matt Reeves, and 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 people have hypothesized, they've they've debated whether he's doing kind of a take on the long Halloween. It would seem that it's got a very long Halloween cast um, y- y- between the Riddler and the Penguin and Catwoman. So we'll see where he goes. But so now you're doing a comic book from 1996, okay? Because that's when the long Halloween came out. And, 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 and so what I'm getting to is you're not going to get in front of these filmmakers that they have their own visions, their own favorites. And, um, while the DC direct to animated, um, department is very good at taking something like Hush or Dark Knight or Court of Owls and making it into a 90 minute animated directed DVD or now direct to HBO max. Um, that is that, that, that is, uh, you know, a, a great method with which to to make a, an animated project, but it's not these big sweeping billion dollar Batman movies that the public defines Batman. You go out to the public and you you ask them about Deadpool, they're going to talk to you about Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool. They're not going to talk to you about any other Deadpool. And as the guy who created Deadpool, take my word for that. Ryan Reynolds is the face of Deadpool to the entire world. Christian Bale is the face of Batman to a generation. And Robert Pattinson is going to be the face of Batman to a generation. And uh, Ben Affleck was was on track to be that. But whatever politics happened with Snyder and Warner Brothers semi-derailed that. But, but, but even the Wonder Woman that we're getting, that World War I story that Patty Jenkins gave us is not a story you and I can access in a comic book. It didn't, it doesn't exist. It's, it's the, they have their own original takes that they trot out that, that, that their versions that they present to us very, very rarely do they make a, an, an, an adaptation of the comic book. And, and especially not with these Batman books, Batman begins is brilliant because it presented me a Batman that I had never seen before that was different than Frank Miller's him going to the Himalayas and becoming part of Raza's ghouls 
ninja school and 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 being trained by his greatest enemy is was blew blew me away and 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 uh and his take on the joker all that stuff um so so you're not going to dictate terms to filmmakers because batman has been around for it seems like 100 years even though it's fill in the blank 60 years whatever what was his anniversary this year? Was it seventy five? What is it, Jimmy? What, what are they celebrating? Yeah, I, think I think it's. I think we're in a, in that eighty. In that okay. So, so here's my point. In the meantime, Marvel doesn't have access to Spider Man for many, many years. So that toolbox becomes about Guardians of the Galaxy. And let me tell you how remote groot is the beautiful talking tree which is the reason my daughter specifically uh who was 10 when we saw you know or nine when we saw guardians turned to me at the end of the movie looked up with her big giant saucer eyes and said i am groot to to tell our audience how remote a character Groot is james gunn in remembrance of Stan Lee and his passing this last week on Instagram, shared a story of Stan's cameo in Guardians, and he joked with him about how he created Groot. And Stan said, I did? And he said, Stan, he first appeared in a story that you did with Jack Kirby. And he goes, funny, I had no idea. I don't remember, but I'll take your word for it. And Stan Lee... Groot is so remote that Stan forgot he created him. Okay, there. That, that's that's the punchline to the joke that James Gunn was telling. And yet this ragtag group of, if Iron Man was deemed as a C to D lister, I have had my buddies in the movie business go, I had never heard of Guardians of the Galaxy ever. I, I did not know this group of characters existed. I did not know there was a talking raccoon that carried a space gun, uh, 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 you know, a blaster and, and existed in space. Like also to put this in perspective to that, this iteration of guardians and not to get too sidetracked, but this iteration of guardians was coming out with that annihilation crossover, which was kind of like the secondary or third, like crossover going on at the same time of Marvel civil war in the direct market comics. So Civil War was taking place all over the Marvel Universe. I mean, there's, you know, so many, I mean, like, literally hundreds of crossovers of Civil War. And over, kind of as a side dish, was uh, were these Annihilations, Guardians of the Galaxy books. You know, so, like, even in terms of their publishing history, Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, even the modern Guardians with Groot, with Star-Lord, you know, with Gamora, was still even it was even d-list you know you know even up until a few years ago up until the movie was released and and then the movie comes out as a giant blockbuster and now guardians is a giant tentpole attraction it's got its own ride at disneyland i mean it's got its own damn ride i mean that like that is a testament to having diversity in your catalog and let me tell you something that annihilation that they that they're putting together roughly what is that is that 2010 Jimmy is that is that 20 2008 well oh, no that was more like 2000 like probably 2005 2006 so let's go 2005 2006 that is when the story group is building at Marvel 
That is when Feige is putting together his, because again, they're shooting Iron Man in 2007 for release in May of 2008. So they're planning all of this in 2005, 2006, as the group is getting together. Marvel, the story group, which had Casada and Bendis and all these guys in Feige, they were sharing and breaking stories that could be used for the films. That's why they reorganized Guardians of the Galaxy and took Yondu out and took Martinex out and Nikki and Charlie uh, Starhawk that, and, and made it about Star-Lord, who could be more... Yeah, I love Charlie 27. He was cool. So, 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 so Star-Lord could be more of a Han Solo type. And then you you you, you had Rocket Raccoon. You have... I mean, it, it really... It's a testament... To Feige and the in the writers' room, they call it the story group, the story group, because we got an announcement when Feige got absolute power and he was um, given power by Bob Iger in 2016 to separate from Marvel and that he would have dominion over the films away from Ike Permutter and and the rest of Marvel. It was that the story group was dissolved. The story group will no longer be involved in that story group was again guys like Bendis guys like Casada um Feige was the head of it but it's like I'm going my own way I'm doing my own thing but back the, the Guardians was part of the early story group break and they were putting that out there look man when I met with Bill Jemis in 2000 and he was telling me about Ultimate Spider-Man and what they were going to do with it and making him young again and retelling the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko stories of which, again, let me remind you, Bill Jemis has story credits on all of those. I pulled out my omnibus that was through Barnes & Noble, the special edition the other day, and you open it up and it says Ultimate Spider-Man story, Bill Jemis Bendis, okay? Bill Jemis made sure his name is as the writer, which speaks to royalties and everything after, but he had the script to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. That, that, that is about to shoot. Right now, Jimmy, I have the script, the, the script to Prophet. I have the second draft of the film of my, my character, Prophet, who debuted in Youngblood number two, who is set to be a major motion picture. You know, we got Mark Guggenheim, genius showrunner writer to, to give us this script. He has done a first draft. He has now handed in a second draft. I could start drawing elements of the second draft in a profit comic tomorrow and have it in your hands within six weeks to two months. And you would see the version of profit that I believe is coming to screen because I have that backdoor element. Marvel with Sony is crafting the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans that would come out, I think, is, is that 2001, 2002? And, uh, and, and, and so Marvel was like, well, to get in front of this, we're going to start making a younger, we're going to take Spider-Man back. He's not going to be married, divorced, whatever, fired from the bugle in middle age. He's going to be the young, youthful Tobey Maguire version again. D tongue in cheek that Tobey Maguire was 30, okay, obviously, but he was playing a teenager. So it's, it's Marvel was definitely leading the way in this scheming, of making the comics reflect the destiny in the films. So the point is you can keep giving us Batman in, in the comics and they're brilliant. And right now you and I love Jorge Jimenez. I think he's the best artist in comics. Love the way he tells his stories, the polish of his layouts. We love that Tinian is, is injecting the, the, the book with a bunch of new faces and new characters and new intrigue and new mystery. 
But I'm not sure the Joker War is, in, in the best case scenario, it's 10 years off from being in a major motion picture. Okay? So, so hats and, off to and, them. And, and put it this way. I mean, and that's the Tinian run that, that I am going bonkers over. It's like, like, forget about like something like even Three Jokers, where you would need to have the killing joke actually made to actually have that resonate. So, I mean, like, again, you know, you have... You have some really good art. I mean, you know, um, uh, Faybach, who's you know, you know, definitely killed himself over this 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 rigid grid layout. You know, these these books that it's taken years and years to make, but it's like I, these aren't going to get yeah, made. About three jokers, three jokers, three jokers. Right. Not to be confused with Joker War. Right. And there's a lot of look. There's a lot of Joker out there. Joker and you and I have, have joked that he is. DC's most important character for the last 10 years. And we both kind of high five when he was their number one best-selling franchise movie franchise, because it only, you know, underscored what you and I had been talking about for a decade, that Joker, that anarchist uh, feel crazy vibe is what is connecting more so than Batman. But I want to make the point that what Marvel did, because you go, Oh, Rob, why does the Joker award have to be a movie? It doesn't, this isn't my plan. I'm not on this podcast telling you Rob Liefeld. Rob Liefeld's plan for DC Comics is to do more great Legion of Superheroes, Teen Titans, Commandy, OMAC, The New Gods, Mr. Miracle. Um, I mean, give us Dr. Fate, Phantom Stranger. Uh, they have The Creeper. The I was just going to say The Creeper. Oh, my gosh, The Creeper. Yeah, yeah, look. The creeper, the question, blue beetle. You know, I mean, keep on that, going that, down. that's my design for a DC Comics. What I'm saying is, this Dan DiDio stuff the ballot box with Batman. Make sure that 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 we can hold the line because if we don't have 20 Batman books, we're going to drop another five points in market share. And market share is what it all became about. Look, mommy, look, daddy. I can sell as much as number one. It's always about being mama's number one to these guys. And 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 look, I can I can do what I did once again. I, I can do what I did. I just I just I just need more Batman. It's it's Christopher Walken walking and going. Uh, I need I need more cowbell. Okay, I need I need more Batman. What what this needs is is more. That's the Dio. Did Dio's answer to 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 cowbell was Batman, and it became too much. And the reason is. Marvel made its case to its corporate overlords that we have a vast array, so much so that you know how we're going to follow up Endgame? With Master of Kung Fu, Shang-Chi, with Black Widow, with the Eternals. Oh, you never heard of the Eternals? Well, everyone will know who the Eternals are because our brand, our Marvel brand is so strong that now we can go, Angelina Jolie, you want to be in a Marvel movie? Sign here. You know, uh, Salma Hayek, you want to come along? Come along for the ride. The Marvel brand is now this giant beacon that is drawing people to it. You know, my wife and I, we were on the way to dinner. We were talking about all the breaking NBA trading news and all the stuff because the trade deadline is coming. And we were talking about how amazing um, both of us who have actively rooted against LeBron James. But the minute he came and put on the gold and purple armor, he transformed the trajectory of the club, which was on a downhill trajectory. Um, things weren't gelling. And you know, this also as a diehard Laker guy, 
LeBron coming over validated the Lakers again in a world that had kind of turned against them, turned away. The, the, the free agents weren't coming. I don't know if it was Kobe's shadow. I don't know if it was, you know, more money in other markets or being being their own man. But people were not coming to the Lakers. I mean, I can't tell you how, how many times has Paul George turned down the Lakers, right? So, but now we're a, we're a, we're a destination again. LeBron James got us Anthony Davis. The two of them got LA a title. And now it's a destination again. Come play with these guys. Marvel made their case. They made their case. We're a destination. We're a destination. Well, DC, in order to keep up and fulfill its we can be the top dog through multiple Batmans across multiple timelines, and they still are, except I think right now, the books are better than they've ever been. Um, you've got the death metal, which is all Batman um, centric. Is that right? Bat- Batman centric. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, it's all versions of, you know, it's all versions of evil Batman mixed with insert character a, you know, insert character B insert character C. So it only, I mean, so with death metal, it only gets it. I mean, in, you know, within that frame of mind, it only gets better when there's more Batman added to that mix. You know, I came out of the uh, Hall H presentation in uh, in in 2010. It was the two movies they had to show everybody was Thor and Captain America for their 2011 release, and and it was the it was the biggest Hall H of the time because they trotted out Hemsworth and showed uh, the footage of Asgard and and the gleaming golden cities, the landscape, the vista, and it was so Kirby. And everything they showed was different than any other Marvel movie that I had seen up to then. The Cap stuff that they showed was all very Red Skull-centric, had a couple shots of Cap and the Howling Commandos, but but was had a big centerpiece with the Red Skull. So again, Jack Kirby. I... Because I'm working at in, in, in 2010, I'm producing comics for DC in anticipation of releasing them under this new 52. I call Jeff Johns. I am driving home from San Diego on a Sunday afternoon. Jeff had already told me he had gone home and I left a voice message that said, Jeff, I had Jeff's, I have just seen the footage to Thor. It is straight up Jack Kirby. There is a sweeping shot of Asgard with golden pyres and the its signature Jack Kirby landscape architecture. I said, you guys need to get New Gods going right now. You have the purest form of Jack Kirby and his unbridled imagination in your catalog. Convince anybody, somebody to push that button. That was, I was functioning as a fan, as a fan yielding to somebody who had a greater ear of the Warner Brothers higher-ups at the time. I don't know what happened. He may have listened to my voicemail, hung up, whatever. We never discussed it again. But I thought, this is it. Now, two years ago, they announced that Ava DuVernay is going to be helming a New Gods movie that I'm not sure has even gotten um, a green light on a, on, a, on, a, on a script yet in terms of like a finished draft. I know that she was writing it. But it's like, DC has a vast catalog uh, that goes way beyond the big three, which is Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. 
But unless they put their best, the comic books have become the, the place where the peacock struts its feathers and shows what wonderful, a wonderful array of, of feathers it has. And all they keep showing us for sales purposes, and I get you're going to go off with a distributor, which is part of this, right? We're going to, we're going to go away from diamond. We better give some really commercial stuff. This isn't time to experiment, but DC hasn't experimented in a decade, Jimmy. Marvel made its case that they can use the experimental platform because that's how comic books have been explained to the higher ups. These are experimental platforms that we get our ideas out and see how they gel. And we, you know, and Marvel can look at, I mean, Brie Larson and Captain Marvel, the upcoming Ms. Marvel, everything they're doing, they go, the laboratory is the comics. And that's how we justify the existence. And we can make profits on them. And Disney's like, great, keep doing it. Sounds good. Whereas DC doesn't seem to have made that um, synergy connect. And so you've got AT&T that, I mean, I think the writing was on the wall when Didio boasted how much the DC division made. And I don't have the number in front of me, but the AT&T guy publicly said, that's not even a blip to us. That's not the kind of revenues that, that get our attention. And you were like, oh, that that's not a good sign. Remember that? Oh, and I mean that definitely that definitely rocked people because you know, I mean, just think about this for as a company. You all bust your ass. You're all, you know, all for one, one for all. And you know, you're you're slapping each other on the back, and then your boss's 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 boss goes, Hey, you know what? Uh, you know, uh, you know, not good enough. Big deal. It's it's hard to. I mean, just like it's hard to, you know, compete in in and become number one. It's hard to say we just had you know a, a, a such a profitable year, and going eh, that money doesn't matter. And I understand that there are people going who are going to say, but but Rob, the CW is a blaze. Yes, it is. Black Lightning is a huge triumph. No matter how you look at it, no matter how you slice it, Black Lightning is fantastic. Arrow. I mean, the guy who made Arrow a monster hit wrote my profit movie. I mean, I understand TV is definitely a way to, to make this stuff sing. But, um, my buddy from Disney told me this afternoon, Rob, the, what's kept Disney afloat is merchandising. Uh, and he specifically pointed to Mandalorian, the child. Um, when I was at Frankenstein's and I saw you last week, all of the toy dealers near you had all their new Mandalorian sets out. I mean, there's three different versions of Cara Dune. There's multiple Mandalorians, all the different um, uh, uh, season one Mandalorian armors, um, all of the uh, multiple versions of the child. Lice, I mean, that I, I have seen on social media so many people showing their stuffed, you know, animal version or their 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 plushy child, their their sideshow toys. Yeah, and there's so and there's so many. So it's like whatever brand has has a version of 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 baby yoda so it's like funko pop you know like 18 different baby yodas you know you know plushy you know 12 inches 18 inches as a backpack as a purse as a i mean whatever you could turn it into they've turned you know baby yoda into that and and part of marvel's winning formula is taking something like guardians the whole way to from a comic book to a blockbuster movie to billions in merchandise, to Rocket Raccoon and Groot, uh, Halloween costumes, pops, 
action figures, plushies, okay? And and so so believe you me as the guy who um, participates in all of the Deadpool licensing and the cable and the X Force licensing. I know how important it is. I know how I know how powerful it is. And what I'm telling you is, as great as the CW stuff is, I mean, Jimmy, I've got skin in the game on Hawk and Dove. They're, they're making season three Titans. Season one and two are now available and promoted on HBO Max. But I haven't seen a single licensed product from that show. I don't see a lot of Arrow stuff, a lot of Black... Oh, I was going to say, you don't see any Ruby Rose, uh, you know, Batwoman, let alone, you so, know, you know Ryan, you know, the new Batwoman. I mean, so... It just it doesn't exist again. I mean, the, the shows you could really enjoy the shows. It, you know that has nothing to do with the quality. It's just there's no, like there's no there's no merch to judge the fandom. The licensing is the key aspect that gets these companies excited. That's the key. It gets them excited. They love looking at Rocket Raccoon and go, "That's a Halloween mask. That's a Halloween cartoon. That's a candy bar. That's a that's a. I mean, we've already said it's a theme park ride." Okay. It's, 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 it's a pop. It's an action figure. So, so I'm just saying, here's the moral of this episode. DC has a vast, powerful catalog that is, is, has been largely ignored while the publishing company chases, uh, their Donald, they wanted to become the Lakers, but they've, they're still the Clippers and, 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 and they're just kind of drafting, I don't, think, I don't even think they're drafting anymore. It's just they found the one thing that works for them. I was at your table, Jimmy, when the guy held up the comic and said about three Jokers, which three weeks prior was the number one book, said, does this tie into Joker War? And you said, no, that's that's its own separate. Three Jokers is its own separate standalone story. Oh, okay, so it doesn't tie into the Joker Wars. <laughs> so, I mean... Three Jokers lands, same time their wide their 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 line wide crossover is Joker Wars and the Joker shenanigans in uh, death metal are going on with Batman who laughs right. Uh, exactly. Oh, it's do you want him mashed up with? Do you want Joker mashed up with with Batman? Do you want uh, Joker taking on Batgirl and the Red Hood, or do you want? Um, or do you want the one with punchline versus Harley Quinn in it? I mean, it really is, uh, you know, it's definitely confusing for fans, but it was definitely hand selling and acting like the sensei as, as the, as the comic read. I dig Batman. I dig his world. I dig him when he's done great. I think Frank, Frank Miller definitely succeeded when he created a new blueprint that has lasted since 1986. I mean, we're talking like a 34-year, almost 35-year blueprint that everyone continues to hew to. But I'm a Superman guy. He's my favorite DC character. I, I laugh when people go, oh, he's too, he's too powerful. They don't, they don't say that about the Jedis in Star Wars or Darth Vader as a villain. They never say, oh, he's too powerful. And, you know, in, in the video games, a Jedi can, can pull a Star Destroyer down to the planet. I mean, these are powerful characters. Superman, you know, whether it's, Magic or super science or mythological creatures, there is no shortage that Superman can be pitted. And in my day, he was DC's biggest, most important character. It continues to boggle my mind how they cannot 
make Superman work. Um, you know, they definitely found a niche well, with Wonder Woman. Here's also, I was going to say, here's also, it, it's interesting. I mean, on one hand, you know, people, here's a critic, common criticism is Superman can't work because he's a Boy Scout. Yet Marvel has made Captain America, who is definitely a Boy Scout, you know, arguably one of their their most popular cinematic characters. Yes, I but no no argument there whatsoever. They are both the quintessential Boy Scout archetype. And and like I said, I just I grew up in a world where Superman. It's not that he needs to be more popular than Batman. Batman has run away with it. I, Batman. I started this off in case anyone's forgotten. He is the most successful family in comics. Batman alone can take on the X Men line, the Spider Man line, the, all the lines. And right now we have established, you and I, we love the Tinian Jorge Jimenez Batman. It is right up our alley. We dig it. We love the death metal kind of fan fiction aspect to kind of just going wild and crazy with the DCU. And we are digging the three Jokers. So we're fans. Um, but there is a dearth. A, a, there's, a, there's actually a ton of Batman product. And uh, at, sometimes at the neglect of so much of what's in the catalog, but we are not going to fix all these issues today. Today, we wanted to show you how a pursuit of being the top dog created a conundrum for DC to continue. And now a distribution issue has, has made it that you got to feed the pipeline, which has led to these rumors that they're going to publish less comics. They're going to be even more Batman centric. And I am telling you that catalog is rich DC has been mismanaged for a decade. And I don't mean mismanaged with penciler, inkers, and writers. That's not what I'm saying. It's not personal. It's a lack of a greater vision in service of a market share agenda that was laid out to fulfill this vision of, of, of this relaunch that would that it would overtake Marvel. Because you don't understand to go to Warner Brothers and say, we're we're bigger than Disney. We're outselling Disney. We're that was sexy. It didn't. It didn't last more than three months. And uh, and and the Batman books, in and of themselves, are very well done. They're very successful. That's not the issue. The issue is how do we get to where DC is, where it's at right now, being what I believe is undervalued. I believe DC is undervalued by AT and T. And, 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 and you're like, so wait, are you trying to say, Rob, that if they had more Rocket Raccoons and Groots, that they'd be overvalued, they'd be more appreciated? I am absolutely saying that. That is 100% what I am saying. That when you can show them that don't, don't even dream of shutting this pipeline of ideas and creativity down. Because there are so many glimpses of, of what we can do that go way beyond just film, but to theme park, to, 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 to toys and merchandise. And you guys, if you don't think toys and merchandise drive the car, then where have you been since Star The merchandise is what they love the most. Okay. So, Hey, Jimmy, we're going to um, continue this. This is a big enchilada. Um, there, there's a new place up the street called Burrito Brothers. If you have one in your town, great. We did, we just got one here in my hometown. And portions are their big wow. And and they give you a burrito that 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 you really I've seen you put some some big big meals away, buddy. 
This yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? A burrito the size of my head sounds really good right now. So it's big. It's 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 bigger than that. Um, and 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 I'm telling you, man, that we we have taken on quite the enchilada today, and uh, and we're we're gonna have to um we're gonna have to go at it in another edition in another um uh, uh episode where we continue to debate the DC dilemma as they fight to really stay alive and if you're not uh, like alert a lot of good people lost their jobs the 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 company is definitely being downsized it, right now as Jimmy and I do this it has been downsized twice since the summer twice and uh we like DC we want a strong DC I'm going to tell you right now the guys at Marvel have told me repeatedly Rob we need a strong DC comics so we're all in the same boat and that is comic books. Comic books is the big boat. You know, um, it just depends on which part of the cabin are you occupying. Are you in the Marvel cabins or are you in the DC cabins? But it's the the comic book boat, yacht, ocean liner, whatever you want to call it. Jimmy J, you rock. Thank you for your insight and hanging with me. Where can people find you, Jimmy J? On social media at Amazing Comic Con. I'm on Instagram. I am also on Twitter. And from there, you can find me other places like Facebook and stuff like that. Yeah, you're always around, Jimmy. I see you all over Facebook. Sometimes I find threads just because you commented on them. It pops up in my algorithm. So Jimmy J, Amazing Comic Con. You guys look for him. I am at Robert Liefeld on Twitter. Got the blue check. It's really me. I'm not the guy asking you to wire me money for anything, okay? Because... That guy doesn't. You, have you mean you're you're not a Nigerian prince? Not today. And 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 on Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. Again, the blue check. It just helps you say that it's really me. Uh, it, online is weird. Um, I've had to shut down some of these scams of recently. So at Rob Liefeld on Twitter, at Robert Liefeld. No, at Robert Liefeld on Twitter, at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. You guys, I'm all over Facebook, just like with Jimmy. Social media, I'm there. Reach out, hang out. Talk to me. Let us know what's going on. We bit off more than we could chew today. This is a big topic, the DC dilemma. We've only scratched the surface. Uh, you guys, you know the drill. You're going to take care of yourself. Please do that. And uh, stay safe above all things. And we will talk again real soon.